Now, this is going to be a little bit different. I don't think I've ever actually started a message by doing this, so this is going to be a bit of an experiment for all of us. But I'd actually like to kind of kick off this series, kick off this message by, by having all of you, no matter where you're watching from right now, actually read the name of this series with me. Ready? Let, let's go on. Try it together. Me and My Big Mouth. Now, I know some of you, because I can't see you, you're not participating. So 100% participation this time, no matter where you're at, no matter how weird your spouse or your kids might think you are right now. Everybody read it with me. Me and my big mouth. Now, good work, but I kind of just tricked all of you just now because here's the deal. This is not a series about your husband and his big mouth or your wife and her big mouth, or your mother-in-law and her big mouth, or your boss and his big mouth, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend and their big mouth. It's about you and your big mouth. So, so one more time, let's all read it together. Me and my big mouth. Now, we thought the timing of this uh, series just seemed kind of spot on, because obviously the holidays are right around the corner. You're about to be seeing some people. Well, maybe. COVID, we'll see. Maybe you're going to be seeing some people that maybe you only see a couple of times a year. We just had an election. There's also a bunch of other kind of hot button topics right now. I mean, you jump on social media and you have no shortage of opinions. So I promise uh, that these words are going to be applicable to you. Now, another kind of unconventional thing that I'm going to do right now is right on the front end, I'm going to give you the, the bottom line, kind of the big takeaway for the entire series. And what's so great about this series is that there's so much practical stuff for you to walk away with and immediately put into practice, whether you would even call yourself a Christian or not. So here we go. The big idea, the big application. And, and once again, I actually want you to repeat after me. So everybody say, quick to listen, slow to speak. Well, one more time, because again, first time around, we don't get that 100% participation. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And if repeating that out loud wasn't already like weird enough for you, and I know some of you, this is like your worst nightmare for church. So you're going to repeat things. I'm I'm actually about to make it even stranger. I actually have some hand motions for all of us. I, I know, exciting stuff. So what I want you to do right now, no matter where you're gathered, I know, again, kind of strange in your own house, living room, bedroom, wherever you're watching. Go ahead right now, kind of put your hands like this in your lap, and I want you to clench your fist nice and tight, okay? And as we say this, as we say quick to listen, I want you to kind of release really quick and then slow to speak. So quick to listen, slow to speak. So one more time with the hand motions. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, now, the reason that, that I'm having you do this right now is because during conflict, wouldn't you know it, symbolically of this, we actually close our hands, both, both figuratively and literally. You, you notice that, actually, when, when you're in an argument, when you're in a conflict, you're kind of like clenching those fists nice and tight. But on top of just clenching our fists, we, we, we close our ears, we, we, we close our hearts, we, we, we close our minds, and why do we do this? We, we close up, and this is one of the interesting things about all conflict is we actually want exactly what the person who won't stop talking wants. We actually both want the exact same thing. We, we want to be heard and, and we want to be understood. I, I want you to be slow to speak and quick to listen, but I actually want to be quick to speak and slow to listen because I want to be heard, I want to be understood, which again is exactly what the other person wants as well. It's like we're both saying, we, we may never agree, but listen to me. We, we, we may never agree on where I'm supposed to go to college. We, we, we may never agree on if he's right for me. We, we, we may never agree on this decision at work. We, we may never agree that undeniably Chipotle is better than the dog food that you get at Qdoba, but come on, at least listen to me. And if, if you must say something, Say something that lets me know that you heard me. 
e- even if it's just like a, uh, even if it's just like a, mm-hmm, like maybe just like a grunt or, or, a, or a got you, J- just give me something because after all, I can't hear you until I'm confident that you've heard me. You, you can't hear me until you feel like I have heard you. So, so one more time with your hands. Come on now. We got this. And let's really drag out the slow this time. Quick to listen, slow to speak. We're going to be doing that now for about the next four weeks. Some of y'all, you are just, you're really thrilled about that. Now, believe it or not, I did not actually come up with that, even though I actually have that tattooed on my hand, interestingly enough. It's a constant reminder to myself. I'm not kidding even a little bit, actually. Quick to listen, slow to speak. I actually plagiarized this from a guy who went by the name of James. Uh, James, and this is something that's so interesting about James, he was actually the brother of Jesus, Let that sink in here for just a minute, right? Like you grew up with Jesus as your older brother and you thought that your sibling was always like kind of showing you up. Uh, Now what's interesting about James, and this would actually be true of all of us if we found ourselves in James' shoes, uh, James was not buying the idea that his older brother was the son of God and the savior of the world. He's like, uh, you're the son of something. You're like the son of Joseph, but you're definitely not the son of God. And James, despite the fact that Jesus was his brother, he actually ended up putting his faith in his resurrection brother who also happened to be his resurrected savior and actually emerged as the leader of the early Christian church in Jerusalem. Because as it turns out, even if it's your brother and he predicts his own death and he predicts his own resurrection and then he actually pulls that off, you, you tend to believe him. Now, now James, he had a rather unfortunate ending to his life. And uh, we, we don't learn about the death of James actually from the Bible, but from a Jewish historian. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about his death, and then we're going to get some of the words that, that James penned and left for us uh, in a letter aptly titled James. So around 62 AD, uh, about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, James is leading this church, this early Christian church in Jerusalem. And, and he just will not shut up about his resurrected Savior, who again also happened happens to be his brother. We, we cannot afford to just breeze past that. Now, now the high priest at the time, a, a guy by the name of Ananus, uh, he didn't believe in Jesus. And, and he certainly didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because actually Ananus belonged to a sect of Judaism referred to as the Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. They, they believed that, you know, once you were dead, you were just dead. Like that was just it. Life was over as you knew it. And, and that would explain why he was so sad, you see. Get what I did there, old theology joke. I I didn't come up with that either. Uh, So Ananus, he he has it out for James. He he wants to get rid of James because of what James is teaching because this whole thing and like no afterlife for the Sadducees, this was a big deal. I mean, this was one of like kind of the staples among the Sadducees. And and so so he's going, okay, here's this guy named James. He's not only going around telling everybody that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, we can't have that, but he's also telling other people that if they put their faith in Jesus, that they can have life after this world as well. But, but right when it seemed like Ananus would never be able to get rid of James, that the Roman governor of Judea, a guy by the name of Festus, he dies. And, and during that interim period, that time when the new governor was on his way to Jerusalem, the high priest Ananus took advantage of the situation. Because when there wasn't a governor in a particular area, in a particular Roman province, the high priest served as that interim governor. And, and during that time when, when Ananus suddenly had all this newfound power, he has James arrested And he has him condemned before the Sanhedrin for violating the law. He finally catches up with James. And around 62 AD, uh, James is stoned to death. Now, when the new governor Albinus arrived, tracking with me, so we have Ananus, and now we have the new governor Albinus. When he arrives, 
Uh, the citizens of Jerusalem, they're not pleased about this because again, they like James. James is like a good guy. People are like on board with James. And so they, they tattle on Ananus. They tell about these illegal actions. And so Albinus, and rightfully so, he immediately removes, removes Ananus from his position, but not before the death of James. Uh, again, we, we can't just breeze past this. James was put to death for putting his faith in his savior who also happened to be his brother. If you're skeptical of Christianity, you have to sit on that for a minute. So, so, so talk about bad things happening to good people. James was an incredible man, so well-liked in Jerusalem. His nickname, in fact, because he was so well-liked, was James the Just. And, and before his death, before receiving his just reward, I mean, just imagine that moment with me for just a second when he goes strolling into heaven and, and he comes face to face with his brother, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> what a moment that must have been. But before he departs this earth, he writes a letter. And in this letter, he stresses the importance of learning to listen to others and speaking at the right times. Here is what James, the brother of Jesus, says on this particular subject. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Now, I don't want us to just kind of breeze past this moment. This is subtle but profound. James, and he learned this all from Jesus, he put women on an equal playing field with men. It's not an accident here that he addressed the brothers and the sisters. Now, now y'all, we, we take that for granted now here in 21st century America, but back in the first century, this was a showstopper. Women had virtually no rights whatsoever. And he's telling all of us, the brothers and the sisters of light, alike, he's saying, take note. This is his way of saying, listen up, pay attention, do not miss this. He says, everyone. Like, James, wait, wait a minute, who is this for? He's like, everyone. As in, everyone. And then here comes our line for the series. He says, everyone should be quick to listen. Which, well, let's be honest, this doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> I mean, seriously, how are you supposed to listen quickly? Now, now the reason that James throws these, these two words together that don't really make any sense together is because he's trying to make a point. Uh, authors, uh, writers, communicators, they, they do this all the time. Y your priority relationally is to be quick to listen. But, but before you do anything else, listen. Because after all, isn't that what you want others to do for you? So if you want others to do this for you, you best do this for others. And then he continues, and here's kind of the other half of our catchphrase for this series. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. The idea here literally is to be late. When it comes to your words, wait and be late. When you're ready to push back or respond, wait, be late. And I would add, if you must say something, be curious. Ask a follow-up question. But, but Shay, if I do that, they're just going to keep on talking. That's going to send them down another rabbit trail. I mean, this is never going to end. Great. Even better, ask three questions. Be even more curious. Keep providing that on-ramp to even more rabbit trails, to even more talking. Because your responsibility is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And the longer they speak, and the quicker you are to listen, and the more you listen, the more 
you learn. Now, now, now if you're a parent, or you ever plan on being a, part, a parent, th- this is so, so good. C- can we even imagine how, how this would change the relationships with your kids if, if we actually lived this out? Can you imagine how much healthier our marriages would be if we lived this out? In fact, all you teenagers who are actually listening right now, pay attention to this. You want to blow your mom's mind, your dad's mind the next time that they're really letting you have it, the next time they're giving you that nugget, the next time they're giving you some earth-shattering piece of advice. Rather than arguing, and I get that that's our propensity, rather than inserting your opinion, I'm telling you, just try this. Just lean in and say, you know, Dad, I just... I don't really understand. Can, can you explain that in, in another way? I mean, can, can you just kind of further expound upon that and then just kind of lean in and wait? I'm telling you, boom, have a body bag ready. They're going to fall over and die. Now, now, this is being pretty vulnerable this morning because most of you, you're at least familiar with my dad, but w- when I think back to some of the most heated arguments with my dad in high school, th- some, some of the nastiest conversations that we had when I was a teenager, isn't it because we were both concerned with being right and making sure that our voices were heard? I know that story is not unique to me. We were both quick to speak and slow to listen. Parents, married people, really anyone in a relationship, do not miss this. You can write the person you love right out the door. Parents, the truth is, is that most of what you're drilling into your kids, it's right. And I know kids, teens, I mean, that that seems almost unfathomable to you, but but take it from me, reflecting back all these years later, they usually are right. But parents, most of the time, it does not matter. You you can write the person you love most right out of the relationship. Because y'all, and again, remember, I promise you, I am preaching to myself this morning. Again, there's tattooed on my hand for a reason because I botch this up all the time. But but y'all, I want to be understood. I don't want to be lectured. And, And I'm willing to be open to your ideas if I think you're even partially trying to understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. We, we all know that this is important because, y'all, we've been on both sides. P- parents, you, you've seen your kids' eyes just kind of glaze over and you walk away thinking to yourself, I don't get it. I know I'm right. I, I know I'm giving them sound advice. I, I know I'm communicating what's best for them. So, so why can't we communicate? <laughs> and James would look at you and say, you idiot. It's because you're quick to speak and you're slow to listen. You have the order all messed up. But if you're quick to listen and slow to speak, what comes next comes so much easier. He says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, now slow to become angry, this is, this is big, is both a result and a decision. If you're quick to listen and slow to speak, you're less likely to become angry. And it's far easier to guard against your anger if you decide on the front end to just be curious and ask questions. Now, now, now anger in this particular context that he's referencing right here, because again, we all express anger differently. Some of y'all are rage balls. I mean, you just go off the deep end. Others of you, you're the ones that you can internalize and you just shut down and you wait for that moment where your spouse comes rolling up to you and says, what's wrong? And you're like, nothing's wrong. Like, seriously, it seems like something's wrong. No, nothing's wrong at all. 
It, it manifests itself in different ways, but anger in this context is this. It's, it's drawing hasty, misinformed, relationally destructive conclusions. And, and James, understanding this, he comes up with this formula that the longer you listen, the more you'll learn, and in turn, the less angry you will be. And, and, and here's why this works. And, and what I'm about to tell you is, is so incredibly obvious. In fact, most of the time what I do here on, on Sunday mornings is I tell you things that you already know. But this is like really, really obvious. I doubt any of you are going to be going, wow, like I need to write this down. But it's so obvious that it's one of those things that every once in a while we need to be reminded of so we keep it front and center. See, everything everyone does makes sense to them. <laughs> I know, profound stuff, right? Maybe write that down. Everything everyone says makes sense to them. Everything everyone believes makes sense to them. So, so, so here, this is the thing. When you say or, or you think, because a lot of times we actually won't verbalize this stuff out loud, or worse yet, we'll actually go and we'll talk to somebody else about it, not actually the person that we're having the conflict with. But when we say or, or we think, I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would say that. I do not know why they would believe that. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You just made a confession. Wh who's the one here that needs some educating? I I'll give you a hint. I don't know. So, so, so come on, who really has the problem here? But, but, but see, we don't really like coming to grips with this. I'd just rather be critical because that's easier. And if I educate myself on why they're doing what they're doing, I might join them, and we can't have that. So I'll just be ignorant. And I'll hang out with people who walk and talk and think like me so we can all just sit around and think, can you believe those morons? Well, guess what? They all have reasons as to why they believe that, do that, and say that, just like you have legitimate reasons that you do say and believe what you do. So, so if there's something that you don't know, this requires questions, not declarations. And it's precisely why James is imploring us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. Because come on, as followers of Jesus in particular, who in the heck are we to criticize that which we don't understand? See, when we listen to reply, Rather than listening to understand, we don't learn anything. Our frame of reference and filter is limited to our life experience. Every single one of us, we all have a filter. And everything that we hear and everything that we observe is ran through said filter, which means I would be a fool to judge or criticize you until I understand you. So be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, if James just kind of left it right there, I mean, that'd be pretty good, right? We, we could all probably walk away with, with, with that and, you know, tangibly take something into our lives. But, but James, he's not finished. He, he says next that, that there is a divine agenda connected to our interactions as well. That, that this is so much bigger than everybody get along. That, that this is so much bigger than some self-help tool. Here's that divine agenda. He says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because, and, and we all think we know the because, 
It's because, okay, I get it. If I'm calmer, I'll be more convincing because people will be more likely than to see it my way. James, you're so stinking clever. That is such a good trick. No, that's not it. He, he says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger, which is not getting what I want, it's, it's intensified by me being quick to speak and slow to listen. See, in any conflict with another person, there are really three agendas. There, there's, there's my agenda, there's your agenda, but then there's also God's agenda. And wouldn't you know it, my agenda and your agenda actually stand in opposition to God's agenda. The, the, the rightness that we desire and rightness and righteousness, they're kind of synonymous terms. They mean the same thing. And see, see, my rightness, it goes something like this. It's, I know I'm right. And, and I actually, I want you to know I'm right. And, and it's actually bigger than that. I want everybody to know I am right. That, that, that's my righteousness. That, that, that is my rightness. But, but James comes along and tells us, hey, you've got the wrong right See, in a conflict, you want to be right at one another. But the righteousness that God desires, that the rightness of God, is that we would be right with one another. Big difference. See, I, I want to convince you that I'm right, so you finally throw your hands up in the air and you say, oh my gosh, I'm just such an idiot. You've been right this entire time. Thank you so much for enlightening me. But, but here's the thing. <laughs> Even when you win the argument, what do you really win? So, 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 you, so you won the argument. Where is she? Well, I'm not sure, but, but I won. You, you won the argument, but you lost the relationship. You've righted the person right out the door. James is trying to center us and, and remind us, y'all, that that's not what God wants Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. He he doesn't want you to be right at each other. He he wants you to be right with each other. He's actually right here. He's drawing us in to to Jesus' greatest commandment. As I have loved you, you get to love one another. Jesus didn't come to be right. He came. This is so important. He came to reconcile or write us to himself, and then he asks us to extend that to one another. So, so, so stop being right at one another and start being right with one another. Well, James, how in the heck are we supposed to do that? Oh yeah, quick to listen, slow to speak. Because if the two of you aren't right, it does not matter who's right. (laughs) You don't win a relational argument. You don't win a fight in a marriage. There is no winner if things aren't right between the two of you. And then he continues. He's, He's still not done. He says, therefore, get rid of, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now now that the goal is clear, now now that you have the right right, 
Get rid of that self-rightness. Get rid of that self-righteousness. You know that I always have to be right, which we all know left unattended and taken to the extreme actually becomes a life and death issue. We've all seen this play out. It leads to violence in the workplace, in marriages, between friends, and it always begins with words where one or both parties just had to be right. Everybody's talking and nobody is listening. James tells us to take that off. It's this imagery of actually like removing a coat. To take that off along with evil. A better word actually right here might be the word malice, but we don't really use malice in our everyday speaking to each other. But malice suggests a desire to harm, to get back, to pay back. It epitomizes our culture. And James says, like a coat, take that off. Because come on, even if you win, the relationship loses. Humbly accept and embrace what Jesus has done for you. Recognize that we are more important than me. That the two of us reconciling, being right with you is more important than me getting my way. If you're watching this morning and you call yourself a Jesus follower, this has been planted in you. You understand just how far this goes. That the God of the universe came down and he sacrificed himself on a cross for you. That's how much he wants to right the relationship with you. If you're watching today and you're new to this whole church thing, This is how much the God of the universe loves you. How much he desperately wants to win you back. Think about that. He willingly sacrificed himself on a cross so you have the opportunity to be right with him. So surely, surely we ought to live this way with one another. Be quick to listen and slow to to speak. And and, and when James says save right here, he's not actually talking about eternal saving. It's it's actually far simpler and far more practical than that. It's saving you now, as in saving your relationship, as in saving your marriage. It, It can save you from regretful words, from acting in anger, from divorce, unemployment. If you accept this, if you embrace this, and important, if you act on it. So do it. Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Doing is what makes all the difference. So one last time, let's kind of put this all together. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So one more time with the hands. Come on, get them all out. Everybody do this. Let's say it together. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Do not settle for being right. Make things right. And we'll pick up right there next week.